right, everybody. Welcome to the 302nd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I'm Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling live and direct, ready to uh, talk about the mock draft that we just did, spent the whole weekend doing. So uh, culmination of a lot of research is uh, about to uh, come to an end with the NBA draft happening Thursday. So what first of all before before we before we jump into the draft what have you been up to writing this goddamn blog man <laughs> I, 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 the first time we wrote draft content murdered me much more than this one because i think i i know more about the yeah, class we've been on this it's yeah i know more about the class but it, at some point of just writing i'm just like like this is a lot of fucking work. Ten thousand words is a fucking journey that we we've taken, where it's just like, all right. So, I think that we 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 talked as much as we could. Uh, one thing that I've been doing, like we did a your turn, my turn type of uh, writing style. So when it wasn't my turn, I was like trying to play Fortnite or Two K, and then I would get that that text saying, "Oh, you're you're up," and I'm like, "All right, well, all right, let me." Let me knock this out. So I, I mean, appreciated the shout out about my writing. Uh, well, yeah, because I, I go in Grammarly and that that automation really makes my writing a lot better where it's like, you know, you're using six words to make this point with that only would work with two here. Have have this. So I don't have the balls to uh, write in in the uh, word processor, your, your entire thoughts. I'm just like, here's my block of text after it. And in a analytical uh, grammar machine has told me this makes sense. (laughs) Panda speak. I'm also pretty stoked because it, it only took 15 months, but your boy's finally getting his graded cards. Holy shit. Yeah, holy shit. I, I went to open my Gmail because you're like, oh, I sent the invite. I'm like, oh, sweet. And I see a Discover card email. It's like transaction uh, threshold exceeded. And I'm like, I did not use my Discover card today. And it was like, oh, your PSA has been finally charged. So I go to the website. It's like, holy shit, it's being shipped. Sage, I sent that out in March of 2021 they didn't get it until like mid-april of 2021 and that 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 motherfucker sat there and sat there and i'm like are you just did you forget about me and but finally that they said they're gonna ship i've got a couple of kobe's a couple of chris paul rookie cards uh the jay-z rookie card with tops uh, a couple of refractors of his um a couple of early lebron stuff nothing like super high end but like I made enough money off of Top Shot in the in the OG days that I was like, okay, let's grade these cards. Let's see if if they're if they grade out well because then they'll go up in value and I can just you know you know store them for you know a rainy day. And oh by the way, it's it's free because you know I was able to profit off of Top Shot. So it was just kind of like a a nice little win win there. So I'm really excited to see what they come back as and if it's decent enough i think we might do like a, a little holy backboard uh pack opening you know, yeah a little psa reveal put that on the youtube and uh expand our, our content i mean god damn I, I i assume they just lost your cards bro yeah i mean cause... i would definitely not recommend this well it wasn't it, it's because of the popularity in 
basketball and baseball and all these collectible cards that now they just like have an ungodly amount of stock and only a certain amount of people that can authenticate and I'm just like hire more people a lot of people would want to do that job i'm sure it's like just quit being stingy and hire people to get these process times quicker because boy they uh that that is that is a a long wait (laughs) but with, with without further ado uh enough rambling which we like to do to begin the episodes uh sage let's get into this mock draft i am so glad that you texted me in in january it's like oh have you heard of jabari smith jr this guy is a freshman dribbling behind the back just dominating people i'm like no i haven't like let's let's dive in let's let's devote an episode an additional episode every friday to a top prospect and you know what how they could fit in with the blazers what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Where can they, you know, improve? How are they going to translate to the next level? And my God, it was a content lifesaver because I know you were feeling the same way, but it was like every Sunday, it's like, what are we going to say about this trailblazer team that is rinse, wash, repeat? It was a lot bad. of recycled content. Yeah. I mean, like, there's not that many ways to say this team is disappointing and not seeing the passing angles is Dame legitimately seriously injured. Like there, there's not that many ways to say that in a fresh perspective. So we'll definitely see they get traded. Where is Robert Covington going to go? Like there, the, you just, you can't continuously do that. Is Norman Powell going to be a blazer? <laughs> yeah. It's, it just got stale. Uh, we tried to do our best, but I feel like this draft content really re- rejuvenated at least my, love of doing the, this podcast and, you know, coming with, you know, exciting new content and exciting new ideas. Um, when we did, uh, we first hooked up uh, in 2012 and that was the, the Dame draft. And Dame we, draft. you know, did a, a draft episode. We have it on wax where our thoughts on that 2012 class. And then we started, you know, to, to throw away draft picks and we didn't really have much draft content. And then 2020, obviously before the Covington trade, you know, we did a deep dive on that draft and it was, it was so fun. You watch the draft and you're like, Hey, I know what that prospect could be. I, I know their strengths and their weaknesses. And that's, that's a really good pick or man, they, I can't believe they, they reached for him. So it just makes the draft experience that much more um, enjoyable for, for myself. Oh, before we, I guess, before we start, how do you feel about the Blazers having eight uh, workouts? That that's more than more uh, picks coming in or players coming in that I've I've ever seen with this Portland Trailblazer staff. There's a there's it I might not like, like the picks. Had that number. So 2013, I was working with the team and they had a lottery pick. I believe it was number 10. They ended up taking CJ. That that year, I have still on my camera roll photos of Mason Plumley, Steven Adams, Rudy Gobert. You know, you name CJ McCollum, like like you name it, that they were they were there. So I remember them doing quite a bit of workouts in 2013. So they were doing their their due diligence. They ended up drafting Jeff Withy as well and Alan Crab, um, trading Withy away on draft night. But you know, obviously bringing in uh, AC. So I think it's at the very least, it's a sign of a team doing its due diligence. They still have two second round draft picks. Um, in one in the high second, one in the, the second to last pick in, in the draft. 
And, you know, I think it's a bad look if you were to go out there and, and not work these players. I, like for a PR wise, like you have to do this just to at least say, yeah, we worked out Shaden Sharp. We worked out Benedict Matherin. We did our homework. You can't get mad at us for, for not doing that. So I don't know what to read in. Like this time of year, there, there are smoke screens galore. Oh, OKC wants Shaden Sharp. Oh, no, they want Jeremy Sohan. Oh, the Blazers really like Jalen Duran. Like th- there's people reading into the fact that Portland did not on social media put out any interviews of Benedict Matherin, no workout photos, no workout videos of, of him. Like, but yet they they did a big splash about Jalen Duran. Like they didn't even work out Keegan Murray and Keegan Murray could possibly be there. So it's like you you don't know what to read into. Everything is um, a game right now. Like you're oh. just trying to get the upper hand, trying to put out some chum and seeing what 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 basically is is biting, biting that day. So um, to, to your question, I think it was good, um, necessary, but basically at this point in time, the bare minimum, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see Thursday uh, if anything comes out of it. Yeah. I, I mean, like the second round guys were very, uh, very weird to me. Cause I was like, these guys aren't even getting drafted in my mind, but at least they're working players out. Like, I mean, COVID being a thing, sure, but there were times where we just didn't even participate in this process. And to see that it's at least a we're a normal team level of competency, that's great. So um with the first pick, who do the Orlando Magic pick? Uh I have them taking Jabari Smith. Um, that seems to be the consensus. Again, it could change. The Magic's president uh, went on radio and said that, that they're just in the early stages of it. So, of course, they they could be trying to uh, drum up somebody else's stock and maybe get uh, more value for it, similar to what the Boston Celtics did in 2017 when they had the first pick. They traded it to the Sixers. They ended up taking Tatum at three. Philadelphia paid a premium to take Markel Fultz. Um, so that really worked out in Boston's favor. Uh, so Orlando could be doing something like that. I don't expect them to, I think they'll stay here. I think they'll take Jabari Smith. I really like his fit alongside, uh, first team all NBA rookie Franz Wagner. Uh, they just have a plethora of guards and in, um, Suggs, Cole, Anthony, I mean, RJ Hampton, Markel Fultz. They seem to like Wendell Carter Jr. And I just love the the position versatility that uh, Jabari gives them. They could go super small and if they wanted to play Smith and Wagner uh, for stretches to spread the spread the floor. They could go big and Jabari could play the three in some instances. Like I love his shooting, but I really love his defense. And I think that's what Orlando has kind of been missing, especially since Jonathan Isaac has been on the shelf for the past two seasons. And uh, nobody really is known on that roster for their, their defensive mindset. So I think he's uh, a safe pick, but I think he also is the, the player that probably has, in my mind, the greatest chance of hitting his ceiling. Um, yeah, there are things that, that he could work on, but for Orlando, I, I think they, they, they need to take this player. They, they've taken too many swings on players like Mo Bamba, John Isaac, Aaron Gordon, players that that didn't really perform that well at the collegiate level but had super high ceilings so they could take chet in this scenario because their gm has done that in the past it just really hasn't worked out this is a a orlando franchise that hasn't really done much in the in the playoffs for the past 12 to 13 seasons so go get a guy like jabari smith he's going to play better defense than paolo bencaro 
And I, I feel like he is going to be a really solid foundation piece uh, moving forward. And then they can start to work out their guard rotation and maybe ship off a piece or two to make a w- more well-balanced roster. We we discussed this, I, I think, via text, but I think Orlando is one of the worst landing spots for Jabari Smith, the prospect. When you look at, you know, Jalen Green, you look at Kate Cunningham, you look at all Tyrese uh, Halliburton, you look at these guards that could set the table up for Jabari so he can the weaknesses that he has aren't really pronounced because he isn't going to be, you know, the alpha player on that team because Kate or Tyrese is there. In this instance, like Suggs isn't proven. Cole Anthony's had some good stretches, but he isn't proven. The the guards of Orlando get a high valued piece to really like is is Cole Anthony worth the investment? Is Jalen Suggs worth the investment? We're putting high priced, high skilled players around him. This is where you know Cole's in his third year. This is where you're supposed to see that bump between Cole Anthony. So maybe it is a good pick for Cole to have this just knockdown shooter so yeah um the only person that i would have had is chet and that i mean then it's just the inverse where you're just going big all the time having all this length but uh jabari at one i i I don't really disagree with um i had chet at oklahoma um i just think that they are in the process of building something they have two elite guys that can get players into space and what Chet has struggled with is actually taking shots. He he can make shots at a good rhythm, at a good clip. He just doesn't take enough of them. So to have two guys that can get him into his spots, into a place where he can shoot and score, and then defensively, he, he and potentially Lou Dort, I don't know what they're doing with Lou, but they have pieces defensively. And then upgrading from a... Derek favors to Chet is just like you're going to a different planet defensively. So I I think those guards are going to empower him to play the way that I think both of us know that he can play. He just didn't in, uh, in college, but you know that he can score. He just didn't, he was the third on the list. Um, Gonzaga is trying to win a chip, not make uh, Chet Holmgren number one. So, uh, I have him at two. I think the defense and the the fact that they have that second round, that second uh, lotto pick, you can go so many ways when you have somebody that can just clean up all of the mistakes that, you know, all the guards and wings allow because Chet's that good defensively. I think if there's one team in the league that can take the risk on Chet and be okay with it busting is Oklahoma City because. One, they're a small market. They're always going to build through the draft. And two, they have a plethora of upcoming draft picks that if they miss on this one, that they could likely be back in the lottery again next year. They have the 12th pick this year. Uh, They just have so much uh, just draft capital built up from the Westbrook and Paul George trades uh, that they can miss on this. Um, Yeah, and and they could trade up to a top five pick in a future year easily. I like the fact that they have Giddy and uh, Gildas Alexander to set him up and take the pressure off him. I don't ever see Chet becoming an alpha on, mm-hmm. on a team, especially with the comments um, that he's been saying, uh, maybe the three-point shot showing weakness or, or or whatnot. I just I never got the alpha from watching him play. I think he has spurts of it, like Lamarcus did in Portland, where he was taking over but not consistent. So I think as a as a Robin 
He'll be fine with those guards. I think it's a really good fit. Oklahoma City should bring in a veteran enforcer type of player that can play the five, just muscle, and that can stick up for the young team. I think that team is in desperate need of some good vets. So, Like um, Udonis Haslam, if he ever they need, wanted They to need the Oklahoma City Udonis Haslam. Haslam. Yeah. Absolutely. They need someone that's going to protect him. Uh, so I, I totally see that pick happening. And at number three, I have, I have Houston taking Paolo Bancaro um, from, from Duke. To me, this is the, the only sure thing in the draft is that Houston is going to stay at three and they're going to wait and see which uh, forward drops in their lap. Um, unfortunately for Houston, I do think Paolo of the three is the worst fit just because defensively, who is playing defense on that team? I, well, I who's don't... on that team, bro? Like, no one when except you're, when you're drafting players, you want to start to build a culture. I, I don't know, you know, they've got Kevin Porter Jr., who's in and out of the lineup, uh, Jalen Green. Uh, he has a chance to become a two-way player, but hasn't shown it yet. They, they're just so young. Uh, and that, you know, they've already got Kenny Martin Jr. asking out recently, and I thought he played pretty good defense. They do have Jay Sean Tate, but they 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 make it work. They, they take Paolo and they say, we'll, we'll develop you into a capable defender. They know they're probably going to be subpar for the next couple of years, so... If he's not a great defender right off the bat, that's fine. I think they feel like he's the best player available. He fits what they need position-wise. They traded away Christian Wood. Um, they have, you know, fellow rookie uh, last year, you know, uh, Sangoon, Alperin. who can who can play big minutes as well. So there is a role tailor-made for Bancaro. I think he could settle down that offense a little bit in the half court uh, with with Green with Porter Jr. And what what I wrote in, in our blog is. Houston needs to go out and find a veteran point guard who's going to play defense and set the table for those young players and who is going to be a locker room presence that won't let ego get in the way because that is something that I could foresee happening. Like Jalen Green's a big personality. Paolo Bancaro is a big personality. Like these, these guys have been five stars their entire lives. Now they're, you know, back-to-back top three picks. So, you know, who's going to be the man? I think that's, that their Shaq Kobe moment is like who's you know, Boston had to go through this with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. It took them a while, but I think getting some veterans on that team just to say, this is how we do things, work it out because talent wise, that they could be really scary uh, down the line, you know, a great way to rebuild um, after James Harden was like, this isn't going to work. Like there could be a lot worse situations to be in than having, you know, Jalen green and, um, Paolo Bancaro as your cornerstones for a decade to come. Yeah, I, I mean, here, here's what I would do with team building is I Kevin Porter Jr. is not going to be on my team for a long time ever. Eric Gordon's not going to be on my team for a long time. Like, there's nobody concrete except the player we just drafted in Paolo, Jalen Green, and Alper and Sangoon. Everybody else is very replaceable. So the fit thing doesn't matter except for, like, the, you know, those those three. I'm not. I'm not worried about what Paulo and KPJ are gonna. Uh, but KPJ could be gone. So I, I'm just. If I was in that situation, I would have taken Paulo as well, just as a, uh, like this. This is this guy, is one of the most skillful scorers in in college basketball, and it's efficient. I'm not efficient, but it's. It, I could see him doing the same things in pros 
that he's doing in uh, it at Duke. Um, but I, th- I really think that the Jalen Green Paulo, if it can work, could be a very scary tandem. Who do you Offense. have the Kings taking at four? So I had Jaden Ivy. Um, my big thought was I think he'll go four. I don't I think, think he'll be a Sacramento King. Oh, I, I was writing this at like 10 30 on a Friday night. I was like, I'm not projecting any trades. You don't have to project a trade. I, I think somebody will come up and get him at four. Like the comments he said, they're just like, I. But Davion I said the same thing. Davion's the number 10, 10 pick. Jaden Ivey's like potentially best player in the draft. Like he's like, I'm not working out with you. I, I don't see the fit. If you draft me, I'll show up. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but he's basically letting it be known that let's be smart here. Sacramento, you, you, you drafted Halliburton and Davion Mitchell and you have De'Aaron Fox. I saw you move Halliburton last year. What's going to happen when I move in there. So I totally agree where Jaden Ivey is coming from. I agree with your pick. I do think he will be the fourth player off the board. I'm just really curious to see which team it will be because I think the draft really turns at this pick. I th- honestly, like I, I know that this city and the team isn't desirable for Jaden, but I really think the fit with the Aaron could be absolutely sinister for opposing teams. Like both of those guys have lightning quick speed. Like this is Alvin Gentry's wet dream of two lead initiators that are so fast and can get to the rim whenever they want. If I was the coach of the Kings, I would tell them like, we're going fast and you're putting up numbers. Defense is optional right now. We're Sabas being the center defensively. It's not, no one's fixing that. No rookie's going to fix what that is. So why not go with and make the offense the most optimized, the most high, just like this could be the seven seconds or less uh, Kings with De'Aaron and Jaden just doing their thing offensively. And Ivy isn't at this moment, the alpha creator that we hope he will be in four years. So, you know, develop the, get the, the cutting, the sharpshooting off a standstill learn to be that off-ball guard, and then when De'Aaron goes out, get those playmaking reps. I think that this could work. Obviously, I'm not even paying attention to defense or, you know, any of the the potential power forwards, but we have something cooking if if De'Aaron and Jaden can work together offensively. And defense for in the NBA is taking years. We're just gonna we're gonna suck for a while defensively. We're just gonna be really good offensively. That's the problem for the Kings, though. They've they've been terrible since 2006, the longest NBA drought in to make the post just to even make the postseason. Uh for his sake, I hope he doesn't end up in Sacramento. Honestly, I hope no rookie ends up in Sacramento. That franchise is fucking cursed. It, it's it's terrible. Rookie careers go to deteriorate there. So I I I hope he doesn't go to the Kings. I mean, this they have a great fan base. Like when, when they had the Weber and Bibby Kings, like that Arco arena was rocking. Like they were incredibly talented. Peja hitting the threes, you know, Brad Miller, like they, they were fun. And then just something happened and they have not been able to do a damn thing. Right. Um, but I, I do think Jaden Ivy, I think a team, you could even see a team at five, like the Pistons move up or the Pacers move up, you know, play alongside Keg, play alongside Halliburton. Like, 
I want to see this kid succeed. He's one of my favorite prospects in the draft, probably the quickest uh, baseline to baseline, just has an incredible burst in the open court must see TV. I mean, you, you watch John Morant and all the acrobatic um, athleticism that he showcases on a nightly basis. This is Jaden Ivy. He's had some incredible poster dunks um, already this season at Purdue. Uh, He has NBA range. I'm going to be really impressed um, if he continues that um, in summer league and it showcases that because that's been a little bit of the question mark is, is can he shoot the ball as a two guard? Because he's really not a one. He's a little bit of an undersized two. So can he take the challenge defensively? Can he hit the, the, the long range jumper? And then once we start to see him tighten up his handle, uh, then you're, I think you're going to see a special player. I, I think there's, there's a reason a lot of teams have circled the Kings at four for, for this pick because Jaden Ivey is going to be, um, a special player at number five for the Detroit Pistons. I have them taking uh, Benedict Matherin from, from Arizona. I I really think that they are going to look to find Cade Cunningham's backcourt running mate for the next decade uh, moving, moving forward. And I think Matherin is the player to do so. Um, I, I love his, his shooting ability. I love his ability to get into the middle of the paint to, to throw the lobs to the bigs. Um, I, I think he doesn't need to be the alpha. Kate Cunningham is, 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 is the main, the main guy on, on that roster and he can just go in there, fit in, have a defined role, not have to look over his shoulder at another young player, maybe getting his uh, minutes, and then Detroit is really starting to build something nice. You've got Cade, you could have Matherin, uh, Isaiah Stewart's, uh, you know, just a gritty role player, Sadiq Bay, a big time player for them up front and whatever they get out of Jeremy Grant. Uh, the, this is a team that is going to be hell uh, to, to, to mess with in the coming years in the Eastern conference. Uh, it just Matherin gives them, I mean, the size in that backcourt is just nasty with, with Cunningham and Matherin. I feel like Matherin's my top, um, he's not my top rated shooting guard prospect that's shade and sharp, but I don't think the Pistons need to take that big of a home run swing. Like you already have such a great foundation with Cade Cunningham hit a double hit a triple with Matherin and he may become the best player, uh, the best guard in this draft, but he's a little bit more of a sure thing than sharp. I think he's more ready made to step in right away. And uh, I think he really showed a lot once he got more responsibility towards that second half of the season, got the ball in his hands more. Um, be really interested to see what Detroit can do uh, on and off ball w- with that backcourt. Would you take the ball out of Kate's hands? Did let- I think you have to for a little bit. No team is going to be successful with one player being as ball dominant. I mean, even Luka Doncic, like they're going to have to, Jalen Brunson had to take some of that, that load off of him. The Warriors are so special because Curry can beat you on ball and off ball. So for Cade Cunningham to be that that truly elite player, that prospect that you had him, he's going to have to be great off ball. That's one thing we've always wanted from Damian Lillard was to be great off ball. So I think that's what will make Cade even more valuable for that team. And like, it's an 82 game grind, injuries happen, then you've got the playoffs. And most importantly, you have to give opposing uh, opposing coaches uh, something to scout for. Like if you're just keeping the player, the ball in one player's hands predominantly, they're going to, you know, cook up a scheme that's going to really cause havoc. But if you have multiple ball handlers that can 
make life a little bit more difficult and more decisions for your defense to make, that's, that's going to be, um, that's what you're going to want to do. So I, I think Cade learning to play off ball would be great. He can still be your primary ball handler, but I, there's nothing wrong with him, you know, sharing shouldering the load. I think he's going to have to, I think Benedict's scaling down for when, when, when he was, when he took his leap, he, he was scaled up in the Arizona offense. He, he there's no way he's going to have, that type of usage uh, on the Detroit Pistons with the current team that they're on. I, I I feel like to make Benedict Matherin be as efficient as possible, I would want the team to, to uh, be faster because I, I think that when he was at his best, it was very free flowing and uh, he can use his athleticism and, you know, the, the cutting in a, in a positive manner. Detroit's, a mid-tier pace team, I would love it if he could have dropped for him if he dropped to San Antonio or Charlotte. But knowing how how much you like him, there was no way that he was dropping that far. But I I, I hope that Detroit looks at who they have with Cade, with uh with Benedict potentially, and uh, you know, Sadiq can even play faster. I mean, just utilize him as a trailing wing. I, I think that if this team was put together, that uh, their coach has to uh, think pace more. Yeah, you, I think you have to adapt. You have to adapt your personnel. Uh, you can't be like Brandon Roy and just be like, no, I'm only playing slow all the time. Like, you have to know when to go. You have to know when to slow it down because, and Benedict's going to have to learn how to play half court basketball as well. Like, that's what the playoffs are all about. So, uh, but he's only, he's a 19 year old prospect. I think he can kind of figure it out. And when you have a, a great, you know, distributor, like you know, floor general like Cade, he'll he'll serve him up some easy looks. Uh, I, think. I mean, yeah, he'll. he'll I mean, I, I've never doubted his uh, three level scoring. So the fact that he's gonna get the ball from one of the best playmakers, in my opinion, it, it, it's good for him. But you left him open, and I I, I have a feeling that you were sh- saving Shaden Sharp for Portland, but Indiana. We've said it a million times that small town teams or small market teams need to take chances on superstar talent. And Indiana, I feel like, is smaller than Portland. And they have a guy that can set him up just as well as Kate Cunningham. So Shaden Sharp to Indianapolis. I mean, the fit's pretty damn awesome because they they're they're filling their team with shooters. Even their center is a locked a locked in shooter. So Tyrese Maxey is going to penetrate, find one of the open Tyrese players. who? Did I say Maxey? You did. Well, Tyrese Halliburton is just as good <laughs> or even better. Uh, Halliburton is going to penetrate and find that open shooter. And I, I feel like the offense is going to really be based on Tyrese Halliburton's ability to pass. I mean, you don't you don't trade major assets for a guy who has probably – the best IQ since Chris Paul at the point guard position and not let him run. So I think that the Pacers would be a very fun team with uh, Halliburton, uh, Shaden Sharp, Miles Turner, but I think they're keeping Buddy Hill because of the shooting. Chris, Crystal Duarte, they just have, they're getting assets and they're going to have a fun, fast team. And I think Carlisle would see that, that, uh, that nuclear talent is Shaden Sharp and do a really good job of shepherding him into stardom. He hasn't played basketball in two full years, but when you look at him, 
he's special. He has the shooting. He has the athleticism. You, we mentioned Jalen Green a few times. He has a Jalen Green type of game. So I think Carlisle, I know that he wasn't thinking about a rebuild, but now that he is in the rebuild, I think he would do a good job of developing talent in uh, Shaden Sharp. Yeah, I've got no qualms with the pick. I think they may go Keegan Murray here. Um, somewhat local product, Midwest, Big Ten, Big Ten area. I mean, they do. They are missing that power forward. I, I mentioned three guards. Indiana so. just feels like one of those teams that loves taking the tried and true like collegiate star. So I, I could totally see them going Keegan Murray, uh, filling that that void. Like you said, they did draft Chris Duarte last year. They have Buddy Hield as well. But I, I think they could go for Shaden Sharp here. And for for Sharp's perspective, playing alongside another young point guard mm-hmm. would be, probably do wonders for him. And he would probably be able to progress along uh, nicely underneath, uh, you know, Buddy Hield and Duarte. He wouldn't have to come in, wouldn't have to start right away. He wouldn't have to be their 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 savior day one. Yeah, you have Buddy, you have Chris. Those are vets. Those are veteran players for him. So, I mean, I I feel like for Shaden, it is a very good safe place for him to develop. And Indiana's not not going to be on national TV every game, so he's going to have like a, a, a easier time developing than if he let's just say fell to New York city. Like that's where it, it could, it could combust and create a diamond or blow up in your face. You know, we were first trade of the, the mock draft with Matherin and sharp off the board. I wanted Portland to move down and acquire assets uh, because there were still plenty of other players that I wanted that I thought could be available down the road. And San Antonio is looking to consolidate. They trade nine and 25 to Portland to move up to number seven. And I have the San Antonio Spurs taking a very San Antonio Spurs type of player in Dyson Daniels, who played for the G league uh, ignite player, rising up mock drafts, uh, some say he goes high as four. So I think at seven, I think there's going to be a lot of teams angling to get Portland's pick at number seven to draft Dyson. I think he's the best perimeter defender in this draft class moves his hips probably better than anybody I've seen at that age against grown man talent. Uh, You pair him alongside of a, a DeJounte Murray, who's a lockdown defender. Like the Spurs just know what they're doing. Dyson Daniels is He's everything for a a team. Yes, the shooting needs to improve, but he's a great rebounder. He's a great defender. He's a great playmaker, and he gives you size to play the the one, the two, the three. He's just one of those positionless positionless players that you can now have Popovich, you know, just dreaming up concoctions of of lineups with with Vassell and Keldon Johnson and, and DeJounte. And Josh Primo, the, the lottery pick from last year, like they now all have these long rangy wings that are so rare in, in the NBA that are able to play both ways that, you know, I, I think it's just another great building block for the Spurs. And before you know it, the Spurs are going to be back in the playoffs, uh, being that consistent threat in the postseason, like they were basically during David Robinson and Tim Duncan's entire tenure. I mean, there's there's a role for him already in the Derek right Derek White role. When he got traded to uh, to Boston, I mean, Dejounte absolutely killed it. But 
there is that role of secondary creator, not really a shooter, but can defend his ass off. So I, I definitely see the uh, the the pick. I think that it negatively affects Dejounte and his production, but it is a Popovich pick, and then they have another pick to play with in the future. Um, there were better players than uh, Dyson Daniels in my mind, but that's totally fine. Uh, the shooting is an issue, the dribbling is an issue, but. It is what it is. He is now a San Antonio Spur in this in this mock draft. Um, at eight, I uh, I took my boyfriend AJ Griffin, and um, I, I mean the role for New Orleans is very very open. They have that they have a glaring need at the two, which I think AJ can uh, take. Um, they need shooting. They were probably one of the worst shooting teams in the league, especially since Brandon does his work in the the midi uh cj is a three-point shooter herb can shoot but really it is a team that's desperate for shooting so taking the best freshman shooter in a decade is a pretty nice pick defense is obviously a problem but i said this in the blog and i mentioned benedict in this but like i would much rather teach aj griffin defensive concepts and schemes than try and teach a non-shooter how to do what aj griffin does it's just it I feel like defense is an easier thing to scheme out than uh, than teaching somebody how to do a left side step back into an a, into a three. So, you know, I, I talked about Benedict Matherin's defense to annoy you, but in the grand scheme of things, they're 18 and 19 years old. They're going to learn how to play defense. I'd much rather deal with lackluster defense and amazing scoring in all three levels than worry about him getting into a stance and sliding with somebody. And at the for AJ in particular, he's strong enough. I'll put him on a power forward and be fine. Like, uh, but with, with, with AJ, it's, it's, it's offense. I want all of that offensive potential on a team that's desperate for it. So I feel like AJ and new Orleans are a very good match. Yeah, uh, they do need shooting, so I'll give you that. I think I wouldn't want to see AJ and CJ play many minutes long-term together uh, until either one of them becomes at least a neutral uh, defender. I think that's what made New Orleans go so well last year was you have CJ, and then you have everybody else can can play defense. So I, I think that is going to be the, the defining point in whether AJ becomes just a role player or becomes a legit starter. Um, I mean, you can you put Trey Murphy at the starting two, and then do a nice rotation of Alvarado and and uh, and AJ. I mean, New Orleans doesn't need to have that superstar guy. They can just AJ Griffin fills that role. We can do it, and then teach him how to move his hips and shins more effectively and efficiently. Um, I mean, yeah, I I kind of get the AJ CJ don't work well but think about the offense though you have aj you see cj herb jones being the one defender bi zion that's just a lot of offense to throw at a team and watching a lot of pelicans games we play defense but we're boring and antiquated at the offensive end And, and that that's where teams show their their brilliances adapting to people's defenses and still scoring. So give me, give me all the scoring I can get. 
I know I'm not going to talk you off of taking AJ if you were the GM here, but I personally would have loved to have seen Jeremy Sohan. No, um, with the lack of shooting, I just want to see a defensive lineup of Herb, Jeremy. Like, and then I, we I score wanna... sixty points in a game, man. No, you got to have scoring. Herb scored. No, we can't, dog. On a spot up and driving, no, dog. You got to have spacing for this team to to score. I want to see. I know you all love nine. I know you love two thousands basketball, but we need spacers. Two thousands basketball. Of 90s, but early 90s basketball. Okay, 92 Blazers are building a team like that, but 2023, okay. baby, we need scores and shooters. Okay, well, miss me when your team gives up 130, but we'll score 140 with Zion. <laughs> no, uh, I had another trade at number nine that uh, there's still plenty of players left that I wanted. And in this mock draft, Joe Cronin does what Neil Olshay couldn't. And that is stockpile draft assets. Portland has not had a first round pick since 2019. And really you look at nine and then 13, there's plenty of players left on this board that you can feel comfortable taking. And I think this is a really nice alternative route for Portland as they missed out on the lottery pick this year from New Orleans, they 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 move back from nine to thirteen. They pick up fifteen in the process from Charlotte. Charlotte's desperate. They pay a premium because what they need is a center, and the top center is available, and he's not going to make it to them at thirteen. And that is Jalen Duran. I have Duran going to the Hornets in this scenario, and it feels like aside from Houston, you know, coveting whoever falls to them at three. Charlotte being on the market for a starting center is maybe the the most mm-hmm. like the, the least well-known, you know, secret in, in, in this NBA draft. And I really love what Jalen Duran is all about. He he wants to win. He's going to rebound. He's going to block shots. He's going to set screens. He's going to ooh and ah the crowd with highlight reel dunks. And he is a mobile big. He's going to get out on the perimeter. He may not, you know, switch every time. He can play drop coverage. He can hedge a little bit, but he has such incredible athleticism and length that if he gets beat by a step or two, he can use that to block it. He's an edge and recover for sure. Yeah, he can recover. And I I like his his post defense potential. Like his on and off ball defensive potential. Like every team's going to need that. And when your your best player is Lamelo Ball and he is allergic to defense. You're gonna need a, and Terry Rozier too. Exactly, like that, and that, Gordon Hayward. That so Hornet it's team. A lot. That Hornet team is fun, but there are a lot of issues that they need to iron out to get them from a fun team to a fun and winning team. And is I Terry think, Stotts gonna because of the the coaching search? Yeah, Kenny Atkinson is no longer yeah. uh, the head coach, so it's between Mike D'Antoni, who has had success with with a with a big Clint like Capella. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, do you think Terry Stotts would be able to highlight him as the, the defensive, just absolute? I, I I think that he can blow up plays better than most centers. There's no such thing as a switchable center, but I think Jalen's pretty damn close to it. He's the closest you're going to get in this draft, and yep. he's the youngest player in this draft. Do you um, think Terry Stotts can highlight what he can do defensively, or do you think it's going to be – a lot of uh, drop coverage, which I think Jalen could be great at, but it's probably going to be drop coverage initially because the roster needs to improve. You need more defensive minded players. 
Uh, that's the bottom. Like we saw the Blazers be crap on defense under Stotts and then crap in, on defense under Chauncey Billups. Uh, you need players who are of size for their position, who give a damn about defense. Duran is just step one, probably of a three or four step process for this, this Charlotte team. But what I know Terry Stotts will do if they hire him, he'll get them to the fucking playoffs, which the Hornets, it's ridiculous. Yes, they have made the playoffs. So I think he would do wonders for LaMelo Ball, just like he did wonders for Damian Lillard. He's a player's coach. He's going to empower them. Um, I, I really like the fit. And again, you're going to get nightly nightly lobs from LaMelo mm-hmm. to, to Jalen Duran. So um, you made those trades well, very early in the morning when I was asleep. So when I woke up, I had a chance to think about it. And, you know, at 10, I was thinking about Usman Jang, but for whatever reason, Johnny Davis ended up uh, being <laughs> the thing I wrote about because I, I like the pick. I Washington, do too, but Washington I mean, has so many other like stretch fours that are still young that I think they, I, I, I agree with that pick. I think they go Johnny Davis. I, I, I think, I think that it, it is a good pick. I personally would have gone Usman if, if, if we, if you drafted Shaden at seven, 10 was absolutely going to be, you know, I think that it's smart to draft for, uh, to, to trade back. I think it was, but I think I was being very, a very nice um, co-host and letting you have Usman. <laughs> I, I, I knew he was one of the four. If Johnny Davis was there at 13, I'd have been elated. Okay. Or there were Tari Eason. There, there was so that I love this draft and how deep it is that I felt comfortable. I was like, if you're going to take Zhang uh, for the Thunder or who, whoever else, like there were other players. Where I was like, I'm going to get two studs here at 13 and 15. And plus I got my 25th pick. So I was like, yeah, I, I talked James. to Stu. I was like, all right, he made these trades. Do I punish him or do I let him shine? And then I was like, I'm a nice guy. I'll let him shine. But, oh, it'd be fun to be a toxic boy just once. <laughs> but uh, I think Johnny Davis is a very solid player. Um, I wrote it in two different ways. If Bradley Beal's there or if Bradley Beal's gone. Um, I think with Bradley, Johnny Davis can scale down and be that complimentary guy with uh, – with Bradley just being that point guard, being that 30% usage rate guy. And then if Bradley Beal decides to leave because he's done with Washington, Johnny Davis has taken on that role of being that lead lead guy with Wisconsin. So I know that he can do it. It's going to be way more inefficient in the league because players are longer, taller, smarter, more athletic. But I know that he can take a team that's, not that talented to pretty bright lights winning, winning the division in college. So I know that he is indeed built for this, but uh, I, Johnny Davis at 10, um, very good player. He has slid down my uh, personal board, but that's just a, because a lot of other players are really good as well. No, I, I like the pick. I think it makes sense. They're trying to win now with Bradley Beal and Chris Tabs Porzingis. They still have all Caldwell Pope, they still have Kuzma, and then they have just a, a slew of young forwards and Hachimura, Kispert, and Danny Abdia. So at a certain point in time, you either have to move those players to make room for another uh, forward, or you can say, Bradley Beal, we're going to get you some help in the backcourt. And I think Johnny Davis not having to be the man will really benefit playing alongside of, you know, scores yeah. in, in Porzingis and Beal. So I and like that. Pick. He's going to play. He- 
there's not many wizard guards that play defense. Johnny Davis can play some defense. At 11, uh, I have the Knicks taking Keegan Murray. For whatever reason, this is the, the second time in four mock drafts that Keegan has slipped out of the top 10. I don't know if it's because <laughs> neither of us is incredibly high on Keegan Murray. I knew you would never. I, I just knew you were never going to draft him. So I'm like, well, fuck, I have to put him somewhere. Yeah, you, have to, you have to take what I wrote for Mark Williams, damn it. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy Keegan Murray. I think he's a fine player. I think at 11, that is fantastic value. That is exactly where he will be going. I love him in New York, playing in the Big Apple, taking over Julius Randle's role. They're probably going to move Julius Randle. They can now fully commit to the youth movement with RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. But for head coach Tom Thibodeau, you get a ready-made plug-and-play rookie who is not going to take four or five years to develop. Keegan's going to go in there, and he's going to do his thing. He's going to catch and shoot. He's going to play good defense, and he's not going to demand being the man. Like, R.J. Barrett can finally take over this team, and they can really start to make things happen. I don't think there's a possibility in hell that this this pick is accurate. I think Keegan Murray is going to easily go in the top 10, but based upon our personal preferences. I I have a bias against Keegan Murray because I don't think he's – I want a star. If I'm drafting in my top 10 or top 11, whatever it is, I want a star. I want a potential star value. I don't see it. He could be a star at his role. I, 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 there's, there's, there is a part of Keegan Murray that ends up being better than we both think. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't, I, I couldn't in my mind put uh, Murray over Eason. Oh yeah, I, th- I think Murray's a much better player. I think he's in more. I think he's smarter. I think he's a much better shooter. I, I think your Eason maybe has a higher ceiling. I would maybe concede that, but I think the the floor for for Murray is like we're talking about two three floors higher. I think Eason's like the ultimate boomer bust. Probably, but I've seen Eason attack closeouts that Keegan Murray just isn't going to do. No, Keegan can't do that. But that's not the only aspect of the game, though. I, I know the closeout is a big deal for Murray, and he does need to improve that. But that's not the only aspect of the game. I mean, once you've proven that you can shoot, you're going to get that closeout nine times out of ten. So it is a big part of the game. Um, not if they're open looks. RJ has to do some spectacular vernacular yes. shit in order yes. to generate those off. That that. I mean, for me. I think he's the worst defender out of the three guys that we've talked about of Tari. Uh, so Jeremy and, oh, and yeah, the other two are elite defenders. So him by him saying yeah. the worst, that's oh, doing him yeah. maybe factually correct, but that's not the disservice. He's still a very good, he's, he's a, a very defender. good defender, but there's two, defender. there's two forwards on the list that I think is better. And then I think that Tari offensively can do more. So that's why Tari in my board is higher. Well, you got to take him at number 12. So talk about him. All right. Um, I'm now talking about the most versatile or the best of the versatile fours. What the fuck did I say? Um, Because of Oklahoma City drafting Chet, I think that those two as a pairing defensively is the best yin and yang. Chet's so smart that he knows how to rotate. And Tari is such a uh, X factor. Very nice way of saying what he is that he's going to take risks and gamble and try and make that, that big play. Having a guy like Chet um, there just makes it so you empower Tari to be Tari 
And then Chet's there to clean up all the mess. So defensively is where I like it. And then you have those guards and Chet being able to put Tari in plus positions where he can just attack and be aggressive. So I think that, and I, I think that the attitude, his attitude and like the fire in Tari Eason's belly matches with what OKC is trying to do. So I just think that that was just like a perfect blend of, uh, you know, being able to optimize him and then still being able to protect yourself because there are going to be chances that Tari Eason is just going to fail on a certain play and having one of the best defensive prospects cleaning up his mess is a pretty nice play to put it. And then you have Shea and potentially Lou Dort making rotations too. So I, I think that it's a really good uh, defense and offensive situation to put Tari Eason in. At 13, the Blazers are finally on the board. I have them taking Usman Jang, uh, played in the NBL for the New Zealand Breakers. 6'9", 185, just 19 years old, really came on strong towards the second half of the season, really rose up draft boards, was in the 40s and 50s, then was in the 30s, then I was in the first round. And now you have some lottery conversations around Usman Zhang. Uh, to be honest, if if Portland were to stay pat in real life and take him, I would be fine with that. Seven? I'd be hyped. Yeah, I'd be. I'd absolutely. be. I'd be hugging and kissing whoever's near me if we took if we took uh, uh, Usman at seven. I'd be like, uh, I describe him. I describe him to Blazer fans as a prime Nicholas Batum consistent, and with a chance to become Brandon Ingram on offense if he's able to work on that isolation scoring that 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 playmaking ability with the ball in his hands for himself he's a great playmaker for others he's very comfortable in the pick and roll uh defensively he is is a beast he's got the the wingspan he's got the mo, uh, lateral quickness um clearly he's going to need to learn the game more like he's 19 years old so he's not going to know everything right off the bat off ball he's he's going to get beat a few times defense is as a science like you really need to learn and research and study and i I really feel like what i saw from him towards the second half of the season the jump shot is beautiful uh he just feels like the ultimate team player i i I think he has one of the highest ceilings in the draft and if you're portland you trade back you get all of these picks I, i think you do need to take at least one swing at the fences and we both have him really high on our personal big board. Six and five. If you get wins, like there's 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 reason GMs have one of 30 jobs. Like there's 30 jobs available. They're they're most of them are good at what they do. You get intel, you can kind of tell where a player is being coveted, where where he's not. So if you get wind that a player like Zhang could be had back in the lottery, Portland would be you know, they they wouldn't be doing themselves uh, a disservice by, by moving back. Like they, they need to add as many assets as possible. And I think even if you want to keep Dame or you don't want to keep Dame, he, he's a player that that gives you what you need. Size, athleticism, quickness, and most importantly, fucking defense. Mm-hmm. I, th- I mean, like he has to. He has to get it in the weight room, get his weight up, obviously. Like, he's going from a very, very physical grown man's league in the NBL to the NBA, which is the highest level of competition. He has to get his body right. But there's a bunch of skinny guys that got their body rights, and a lot of the issues that Usman has goes away once he he gets his strength up. Like, because he he doesn't want to finish around the brim because he's a skinny guy. 
So if he can get his body right, which I think is a very, very easy attainable thing, it unlocks a lot of stuff. So, I mean, day one, he needs to get in the gym and get that Dame body, go, go five rounds with him. Cause getting strength is, I think the number one, getting strength and weight in an efficient, safe way is the number one thing for, for Dang's development. Now who the, f- it's the Cavs, right? All right, I want Malachi Branham because Cleveland needs guys that can handle the ball and score because Jeremy Jeremy would have been the pick if it was a different team that needed defense. Cleveland has defense with, with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, two of the best uh, post defenders in the league. So what they need the most is offense. Um, Darius Darlin did a fantastic job of setting the table, but you don't want to just be dependent on one guy to create all of your offense. Like, like we've been saying on this, uh, this podcast. So Malachi can get his own shot. He's a very good mid range shooter. I know that you said the master of the mid range, and that's a very true statement. The touch is really fantastic. Um, so he day one, he's going to be able to be a spacer and a score for Darius Garland. The guys ahead of him have had injury issues. Colin Sexton might be a Laker. Karis LeVert's had a plethora of le- of leg issues. So you don't want to just rely on them. Um, so having having Malachi be able to get his shot off, and then he can learn some dribbling craft from one of the best young point guards in Darius Garland. Because I, th- I think the two things to really unleash Malachi on the, uh, the league is improving his hip flexibility and dribble moves. He's really good at moving, but he does not have the dribble moves to be a good um, movement guy in the league. But offensively, he is going to do a lot of good things for this Cavaliers uh, team that they desperately need. The the Cavaliers team that we saw in the playoffs is not the Cavaliers team that exists. So having a guy that can score in three levels is really important. But uh, Jeremy was definitely an option, but because of who was there, Malachi is the guy. And I think he has all-star potential. And at 15, I, I scooped up Jeremy Sohan for the Trailblazers, uh, the 6'9 forward from Baylor. Uh, it, it just made sense that Portland looked at the three and the four and filled it with size, length, and athleticism. It's no surprise that the, the most success during the Damian Lillard era occurred when you had Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu as your, your starting forwards. Did, did you wish they gave you more offensively? Yes, but they took so much of the burden defensively off of Damon CJ. They knew their roles. They were able to hit open shots just enough. And I feel like you get in Sohan and Zhang I think the only players in this draft that could project eventually to guard one through five, um, it just the, the defensive greatness that they could become is almost unfathomable. I mean, it, it's, it's nuts. Like on offense, I don't project Jeremy to be more than maybe a catch and shoot shooter or a finisher around the rim, but defensively, I like think he's a decision maker and that's something Dame hasn't had. Like, just think about the power forwards on our roster the last 10 years. Outside of LaMarcus, who's making a decision, a positive decision? So, yeah, he's not going to be like a a hub offensively, 
but I think he would make the right pass. Like that's something, that's something special. Like somebody that can make a good, smart decision is something special that Damian Lillard surely hasn't had. And since LaMarcus and LaMarcus didn't make the best decisions either. He's the best decision making forward that, uh, that Damian Lillard's played with. So having that's great. I mean, obviously the shooting is going to be the issue, but how do you play the rotations with Nasir needing minutes, Jeremy needing minutes, uh, Dang needing minutes? Like, how do you split it up? And does Justice Winslow see a second of competitive basketball? I mean, if Justice Winslow is on the right, he's just, like you said, Eric Gordon's not going to be a rocket forever. Justice Winslow is not going to be a blazer forever. He's got one year left. So if he's a vet presence that again, 82 games has to play, that's fine. I don't know if I'm necessarily starting Usman in Sohan uh, day one. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, Little has to prove that he can stay healthy. Like every year it's something, it's not his fault or really uh, it's, it's out of his control, but he has things that sideline him that, that really stunt his development from saying, you know, you're our starting, you know, small forward. So I think it's depending upon practice who's developing faster. And hopefully it gives the coaching staff rotations for, you know, different things. You can be adaptable. You can be flexible. You can really say, okay, we're going to defend the warriors this way, or we're going to defend the Cavaliers that way. Like where I feel like Sohan gives the Blazers the most benefit is his communication, his off ball defense. Like that is something where the Blazers just break down after one to two passes. And it just, it's in complete disarray. Sohan is just so smart already at a young age of knowing where to be, knowing when to help, how much to help he can recover. He's just hyper intelligent defensively that I, I, it's, it's, it, it just makes too much sense to go out and figure out a way to get defenders that can make your superstars life easier. If they want to roll with Damon Ant, you have to surround them with players that know how to play team defense and individual defense and communicate. Like I said, communication has always been the downfall of, of the Blazers when it comes to the defensive end of the floor. You can watch them and they, they don't talk, they, they don't point, they, you know, they don't, they're not Jeremy point. Right. I mean, Jeremy is an excellent communicator. Yeah, you have to communicate. You have to know where to go. Like, you, uh, the opposition's not going to run the same play the same time every time down the court. They're going to be uh, wrinkles. There's going to be different variations of it, and there's going to be substitutions. So players are going to run the plays different than others. You have to know, you know, you just have to know the concept of of defense. And I, I think he is the, maybe the most intelligent defender. Uh, in the draft right now, like best defender that uh, Yusuf's ever worked at the, yeah. the front court with. Um, does does you drafting big boys that are going to be wings? Does that cut the Josh Hart at the at a the three experiment completely dead, and he's just the third guard on the team? I mean, I I've said it all along. Even if you keep Anthony Simons. Sorry, you're going to be our sixth man. Josh Hart, you're starting at the two. We're going to finally play with some size in Portland for once. Stop playing so fucking small. Play big. Play up to your position and really assert yourself on the other team. Like, make them match you. Like, Josh Hart's a fabulous two guard. He can play that. And he gives you size. It also allows Dame to cut back on his minutes. It allows Anthony to not feel the pressure of, of being that, that next superstar in the wings, like run the show when Dame's on the bench. You can try and play them together for spot minutes, but both of them will benefit from 
just not having to just be so undersized all the damn time. I mean, if this was 2K, that'd be an awesome, awesome solution. I just don't know if Ego is going to uh, actually do it. I don't know Anthony as a person at all, but if I, if what I did during the uh, the uh, usage fest of 2021, 2022 is any indication, I would be like, damn, I did all that and I'm not starting. But well, tough shit. You still got your bag. That's what I would say to him. So 16, I think it is imperative for the Atlanta Hawks to get players that improve their superstars' lives, not make it harder. I think Ochai Abaji is very comfortable with getting open shots, shooting it, and playing defense. Trey Young is going to be their usage guy. There was a thought that I would go Jalen Williams, but then I was like, you know who the fuck he plays with? He's not going to ever touch the ball. So Ochai just screams like, I am a good fit here. I play defense. I shoot threes. Anything else you can do, I can try and make it work. But I do those two things at a really high rate. I've developed from just a defender to an excellent shooter. Give me the playing time. Let me be, let me be a professional athlete. See what I can also develop. But baseline, he's going to make trades lives easier because he's not going to try and want it to, to take the ball away from their, their, uh, their one advantage creator. I, I can just imagine Trey Young delivering the ball so perfectly to Ochai in in a in the corner and a wing like that that is where Ochai becomes a legitimate rotation player to a starter level player off of just somebody else's creation and he hits some crazy threes I mean going from Remy Martin to Trey Young is like the biggest fucking leap ever so if Atlanta takes Ochai Baji, I would be so hyped for him yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That, that that team desperately needs defense in their lives to go from the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, basically to the the plan. Yikes! Yeah, yeah they, they they need to uh, really address that because you can't have uh, Clint Capella and DeAndre Hunter being the only two players that give a damn about defense on that roster. Yeah, and 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 it, it gives it. It's not going to detract from Trey Young at all. And that type of thought process of trying to make your life easier for your superstar is what we should have done for a long time. We didn't, but Atlanta's main goal is to optimize and make Trey Young as good as he humanly can be. Ochai Abaji is the type of guy that plays defense and hits threes. That's perfect for what they're doing. At 17, I took EJ Liddell for the Houston Rockets. Um, Typically, teams don't just trade for a draft pick prior to the draft, which the Rockets did, um, getting the 26th pick from Dallas for Christian Wood without having an intention to maybe package something and move up. So this was a tough pick to mock out because I, I think this pick could be on the move. I think Houston could be looking to to package and maybe get into that lottery to find another different maker. But if they stay pat, I like Liddell. I don't think he necessarily needs – you don't necessarily need to be drafting a starter – Right now, uh, I think they need to make a commitment to the defensive end of the floor. Uh, I like to call him value Keegan Murray. Uh, I think he does uh, really great things on the defensive end of the floor. He's nasty with the chase down blocks. Uh, he kind of just does all of the little things. He reminds me of a former Houston Rocket, Chuck Hayes, who just was an undersized four, but was a, a pest defensively, especially in the post. 
But unlike Chuck Hayes, EJ Liddell can shoot the ball from the outside. He's going to knock down those shots. And when you have players with the gravity of uh, Jalen Green and now Paolo Bancaro, uh, who they would recently drafted in this mock draft, I think EJ Liddell just, just makes a, a ton of sense here for a Rockets team that is looking to, to build an identity. And I think you need kind of a, some of those players who kind of embody to take a, a phrase from MS, that, that grit and grind uh, mentality. The Houston Rockets are just looking for competent players at this point in the, the draft. And EJ is definitely a very confident player that can help a team win. And like, of course he would do really well in like a winning situation, but in a losing situation, he has the the maturity to be that that uh, like that mentor guy because he has been, he's older than most of their draft picks. Like being a junior in uh, at Ohio State, like he could have got you know like he's dealing with younger guys. So I, I like the mentorship and like a co- guy that knows what he can and cannot do. So. Uh, at 18, there was an enormous value in Mark Williams just sliding and sliding because of the, the biases of the two, the two drafters. Um, I, I truly don't think that Mark Williams is going to be a starting caliber center in the league. The, the barrier for entry is just so damn high for a big man. You have to do so much. So uh, when thinking about what Mark Williams can do, though, he's a long, athletic guy. And Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan, I, I, I don't know what uh, Zach Levine's deal is, but those two guys and Caruso can just set that table for him so he can score in the paint and rim run. And a lot of the issues with the bigs in this class is they can't score around the basket. I think that is the exact reason why uh, Coloclo is – ranging from first to second is that he can't finish around the basket. So Mark Williams absolutely has the skills set and the footwork to score at the basket. He's obviously not going to do that, but when you are a backup big that can put up stats in the paint and rebound and, and play defense, I, 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 I really think the pick and roll is where his bread is going to be buttered in the league in pick and roll defense. He has really nice footwork. I mean, his hips are high as hell, so it makes him look weird, but his footwork makes him keep up with players that you think and assume would blow by him. So if he can just show that he has that pick and roll defense and pick and roll offense, he's going to have a a job in the league. I don't think it's going to be as a starter, but you need rotation players, 82 games, Vucevic. We don't know who the starter is going to be between Grobear, Vucevic, or somebody else on the market. So having a guy that can lock down 18 minutes of solid basketball in the center position is a pretty valuable thing, even though I I question his ceiling, but I think his floor is very safe. This is a player where I probably wouldn't take in the first round, but we still have to mock out the draft, not just how we would do it, but what other teams would, would do. And I think this is about the range where you could see Mark Williams going Teams value him more, more than we do. I agree. I think he's a backup big in, in this league. I think he's a drop coverage big almost exclusively. Uh, what you do hope he can develop into is more of a reliable free throw shooter. Oh, totally. He's um, an awful shooter. An awful shooter. And 
I think he could still become a better defender. And if he, he's able oh, to yeah. do that. I mean, but, have you watched him at Duke? Like when someone pump fakes, he's flying. He's flying. Yeah. He's that, not I mean, that's, that's young guy shit though. He's, he's a work in progress, but he is not. But he, to... he has the tools to be a good backup big. Yeah. I think him I just, going I top 10, know. top 15 is preposterous. But top, him being a rook- preposterous for me, I'm like, why are you drafting a backup center in the first round? Like, I, I I wouldn't. I don't know if you would draft Mark Williams in the first round. He wasn't on our 25 big board. But again, we have to look at this as what other teams would do. And I, I think for Chicago, it's probably. It's good the, value for Chicago. It's It's what they need. Yeah. And sometimes teams draft for for need over best player available. Uh, for the Minnesota Timberwolves at 19, I think they're probably wanting a point guard. It seems the rumors are out that they're looking to move on from D'Angelo Russell. Um, we both don't believe that there is a point guard worthy of being selected in the top 20 of this draft. Yeah. And it just made too much sense to find kind of a, a safe, solid pick and a draft riser in Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. I think he's not going to take away usage from Towns or Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards would beat the shit out of him if there was even a chance at that. <laughs> uh, he's going to be able to spot up and shoot, which we haven't really seen him play off ball because he was the man for the Broncos uh, in the West Coast Conference. So he's now going to be able to play with a lot more freedom. And he does have the ability to run the pick and roll. Uh, I love the array of passes that he's able to throw, you know, bounce, the hook, the lob, the pocket, one hand. Um, I think he's going to do some special things in the league uh, that people might not think he's capable of doing. And yeah, the, the passing is fucking great. So the, the, his, it's, it's in, his usage with, in the pick and roll, like I know that they have Ant and Cat, but I think it would be a huge disservice for Jalen Williams not to run the second unit. Like, I don't want him touching the, the – I don't want him to do a pick and roll with Ant Edwards on the floor, but I want him to – I would much rather him get that those valuable reps than Jordan McLaughlin or someone like that that is a career backup. I think Jalen Williams could be a starter in the league, and, you know, treating him with uh, – realizing what he has as the, the his abilities as a play playmaker out of the pick and roll, you, you – that's a really good pick at 19, especially since there isn't that point guard. You can use Jalen Williams as your tall point guard on the second unit. And I just realized with your pick at number 20, it was a run of three straight Williamses. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is where, like I said, screw it to the consensus boards because a, a group think isn't a good thing, especially in the art of evaluating talents. And I feel like the Spurs aren't the type of team to to uh, get on that. Like, oh, uh, draft value says we take player A here. Well, they they didn't do it with Primo. They didn't do it with so many players. So I don't expect them to go with, uh, you know, uh, a uh, Jake LaRavia just because that's what they're supposed to do. Um, we have talked about this 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 young player for a long time, and I'm old enough to say young player. Um, Jalen Williams out of Arkansas. He just provides so many specialized things that I think Greg Popovich would really, really like out of the center position. He is the best playmaking big in this, this class. His handles and his passing abilities are just top notch. He, he creates angles with his, with how strong he is and how big he is. He creates angles that, that shouldn't be there because he uses his strength because he can anticipate where players are. Um, 
the pick and roll is where I think he will be really, really valuable to the Spurs because he can set a body, a bone-breaking screen and then pop or roll or pass it off of it. So to have that the array of abilities, the versatility to attack the pick and roll in numerous ways, Popovich is going to utilize and make him – I don't think he's going to start in this league. Jakob Pertle is a legitimate good player but I can absolutely see him carving out a great rotation player's career, like a, like a taller PJ Tucker with that type of passing or what, what we hoped Xavier Tillman would be in year two after a pretty awesome year one, but he has all the skills. He, he, he's like a body bagger as a, as a, as a playmaker, he, he body bags you and creates the right passing lane. Cause he is so much stronger than, and, smarter than the average passer. So I, I, versatility is going to be a thing that Popovich covets. Yeah, he's probably the one backup big I would draft in the first round just because of what he does. Yeah, what it's, it's, it's so different. And on defense, I love his ability to pick and pop, but also to pick and roll. He knows how to dunk, led the NCAA in taking charges, 54 in about 30 games. So he's not uh, a The touch is unreal with him. Yeah, because he not, doesn't he doesn't have that vertical pop, but he scores in such a like a, a finessing crafty way off that role. He's just a player you're gonna love to have on your team and hate to play against. Yeah, it's like he's gonna he's gonna lead the league and draw uh charges drawn, like if you you know per 36 it. He's gonna be like the the way that he positions himself is just so smart because he doesn't have the vertical pop of a Mark Williams. But he's going to get rebounds. He's going to get contests because he's smart and can place his body in the right positioning. And th- like positioning of your body is such a underrated skill that people don't even really realize is a skill. But if you can get yourself into the right spot and then box out with your wide base, you're getting them damn rebounds over somebody who could sky. At 21, I have the Denver Nuggets taking Nikola Jovic from Serbia. Uh, like the Rockets, the Nuggets traded into the draft and also acquired the 30th pick. So I don't know if they keep this pick. They could package 21 and 30, maybe along with Michael Porter Jr. and trying to capitalize on Nikola Jokic's back-to-back MVP seasons because they don't want to waste any season of the Joker's prime. But if they do stay here, I really love the fit. Uh, Jovic is an amazing shooter. Uh, He can shoot off the bounce. He can do catch and shoots. Um, But especially for a young player coming overseas to the States, having another player of of Serbian nationality, I think would just be such a comfort for Mm. Jovic. Um, Clearly, he probably idolizes uh, uh, the Joker. And I just think that the fit works on the court and off the court. When you're looking on the court, Joker just knows how to find you. You may not even think you're open, but he'll find you. Open. You are indeed open. <laughs> That's where he's going to want to really start his career is just being a secondary option on offense where before he can grow into his body and before he can grow into a playmaker, he has shown some signs of handling the basketball. He already has a go-to move. He, you know, he loves to dribble into the paint, stop, take that one step back and do the Dirk fadeaway and giving his size and, and, and length, he is able to get that off over many defensive opponents. 
uh, he does need to get better defensively. Like he's going to need to get stronger. He's going to need to learn the game. But this is a pick for the Nuggets where at 21, you, if you can draft a player that can maybe turn out to have a Danilo Gallinari type of career, you, you go ahead and do it. And again, the, the, the fit just see, this is the perfect landing spot for Jovic because he does get to have some form of home in, in Denver playing alongside another Serbian. And, you know, I just think that would be wonderful for him. I, I think everyone would kind of get a kick out of the memes. Um, just, you know, just, I think it's the, it was the right spot. Like once I saw, I was like Denver 20. Yeah. Like let's, let's do it. It's a little bit funny, but it also makes a lot of basketball sense. I mean, Joe, it's like 15 years old, right? I mean, he's, he, he's one of the young, he, I know, I know he's 18 or 19, but like, he's one of the youngest players. Like I've said with Benedict, like I said with JJ, defense is something you can rep up. Like it, it, it I would much rather deal with a guy that can win one-on-one against professional players than try and tell somebody that can't do that to try and do it. So defense isn't an issue, man. I mean, it is an issue, but in the drafting process, we're not thinking about their defenders. We're thinking about what they could do offensively and what he can do in that one V one scenario is pretty special for a guy that tall. So I like the pick, obviously there's the, the connection, but, I like the pick for Denver. They're not afraid to take that chance. Um, uh, speaking of a team that is also not afraid to take that chance, I think Memphis Grizzlies have shown that they aren't afraid of taking that chance. You look at what they've done in the draft. They, they've done their research. They know who, who's good and who's not, and they're not afraid to take a risk. Look, look, look at Williams, the 10th pick. I mean, he played at Stanford, had no home games, recovering from a knee injury. But they knew and did the research that he's worthy of this pick, so we're going to do it. So with that being said, I think the biggest positive risk that they could take is Jaden Hardy from the G League Ignite. When, when I watch him, his process as a shooter is perfect. Like feet look balanced, body's balanced, form's great. He just misses shots because there's no other threat on this this ignite team. And as a shooter, it's hard to 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 be as effective as you can without proper spacing. You know this as a shooter yourself. If you're if it's much easier to make baskets if you have time to set up and have your body be in the proper form. So context matters with him. His he shot like 26% from three. And I, I'm aware of that, but you can cheat off Dyson. You can cheat off Scoop. There's so many players that you could cheat off to make sure that uh, Jaden Hardy isn't taking a clean shot. So I'm willing to take a risk, a, a, a good bet on Jaden Hardy being a good shooter. And then the thing that I realized, <clears throat> I have any minute that Scoot Henderson isn't running offense, Dyson Daniels and Jaden Hardy did your turn, my turn. And that I realized that Jaden Hardy has probably one of the best bags of dribble moves in the league. And priors to him was he was a bad playmaker. He developed with on-ball reps and became a very good dribbler. And he was able to get to the basket two feet into the paint with his handle. And I think that is a very, very interesting thing to have when you're on the Memphis Grizzlies, somebody that can be that secondary creator on the team. 
when Ja Morant's getting doubled or they're they're zoning up, so Ja has to pass. To have a guy that can create for himself, get two feet into the paint, and make something happen with his playmaking, that's a pretty rare thing. So I, I think that he has a pretty good chance of being that two, that secondary ball handler that shoots really well. At 23, I don't know if the Sixers will actually make this pick. It seems like they're trying to package it with Danny Green. I think they're trying to look for a player to fit with Joel Embiid's timeline, they don't know maybe how much longer he has uh, before he gets injured again. Like it's always kind of touch and go with, with Joel and clearly mm-hmm. they want to win and haven't been able to get over that hump. But I, I just decided to project that somebody is going to come in, swoop in, take a, a flyer on one of the drafts, highest flyers in, in Kendall Brown. He had a, a bit of a, of a down season at Baylor but there is high school tape. Like he was the 12th player nationally last year, a five-star recruit. Like if the, if the draft allowed high school players to get picked, he's going top five, top 10. Like that's the hype that he had early on in the season. He is a, just a menace on the break. He can throw it up to him. He could finish around the rim. He is just supremely athletic, really needs to get confidence shooting that basketball because right now, Offensively, he doesn't have anything else outside of finishing uh, around the rim. Defensively is where some team is going to want him and value what he can bring as a point of attack defender down the road. Uh, he has great length. He he can grow into, I think, a well-rounded defensive player. And at this point in the draft, I think the risk is so low that if it takes three or four years for Kendall Brown to develop, if you're able to be patient and build with him, um, and develop him and mold him into what you want him to become. I think I think it, I think it could work. But if you draft him right now, thinking he's going to be that five star kid, uh, it's it's not going to work. He, he really needs a reduced role right off the bat. Probably needs a stint in the G League. Oh yeah, I, I um, would imagine that he's a G Leaguer for most of that rookie and maybe yeah. even sophomore year. I, I think if he can get surrounded by good vets, um, he could be a very solid role player. Um, potential starter in, in the league, and, if, and then if and if he becomes a league average shooter off off of just the catch and shoot, then then you're really looking at, at a high level uh, value uh, this late in the draft. I mean, JoJo's going to manufacture relatively good offense for him. He just has to be confident enough to take it. I was honestly thinking you were going to take Ch- Kennedy Kennedy Chandler or Ty Ty with this pick, but with the question mark of James Harden and. Uh, uh, you know, Maxi may be ready to, to take that lead role, but I think they're going to need one extra ball handler on the team. I then I, I said it in the in the blog. I don't think Philadelphia made this pick. That's why I went okay. with, with Kendall. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it it's just I I don't want to be mean, but I don't believe in him so 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 much. I don't believe in Kendall, but I think some people do. Some person though. will. It's just yeah. not going to be me that does it. So, like when we look back at this, I want to make sure we get some picks right. And I know I have different biases from other people. So I was like, some people are going to want to take. Oh yeah, he has all. He's toolsy as fuck. It's just like I wouldn't take Pat Baldwin, but I know somebody is going to. So like you know, you got to find a, a, a nice. I, I believe in Pat. I believe in him. And I don't, but I would uh, still put him in the first round because yeah. somebody. I, I believe that somebody will. So it, it's a give and take when you're doing this, especially this late. But who do you have going uh, 24? <laughs> this was an interesting conversation you and I had. But um, <laughs> Blazers are uh, the next pick, and Dustin loves somebody else. 
And but honestly, I love Ryan Rollins. Ryan Rollins is a very, very skillful player. He his bag is very reminiscent of Blazers great CJ McCollum. He is the most crafty player in this draft. His his um he 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 feels very, very familiar or and comfortable with getting into the uh the mid-range and scoring. And as a 19 or as a 20 year old in this generation, doing your best work in the mid range and in the high post is a very weird thing to see, but he's very, very comfortable getting to that mid, that midi and making it. Um, He takes unbelievably difficult shots for the Toledo, uh, whatever they're, what is it? The rockets. Oh, the Toledo rockets. He takes unbelievably difficult shots for Toledo. So if you look at his stats, he's a 32% three-point shooter, and that's relatively low for a guard. But it's the quality of shots that he takes that it the fact that it's 32% is pretty impressive because he takes a lot of off-the-dribble jumpers for his three-point opportunities. So if he if he took nothing but easy shots, Ryan Rollins would be a top 10 player. But the fact is, he's smaller and went to a mid-major school. The Bucks need self-creation and and bucket getters. Ryan Rollins does that. I think he should be their backup point guard because he is a very good passer. So I, I think it's a very safe place for him to be. Drew Holiday is an excellent vet. Chris Middleton's an excellent vet. Charles Lee's a future coaching legend. I mean, they have just so many plus-plus things for – Ryan Rollins develop into a a legitimate starting level guard with a bag that is very impressive. So Ryan Rollins to the Milwaukee Bucks at pick 24. Excellent value for a guy with an excellent bag of tricks. Yeah, I think he'll um, exceed his pick value. Uh, I've, I've discussed it before. I echo everything you say about, about Rollins. Um, and at 25, the, the pick the Portland Trailblazers have got with uh, the trade with San Antonio Spurs. I have them taking Dalen Terry. Uh, I did ask that you would leave me uh, <laughs> Terry at 25, but my justification for that was, is I could have mocked a trade where it's like Portland trades 25 and 36 to move up to 23. And so they, I, I was going to get Dalen Terry one way or another in this because that's <laughs> fun to talk about. Um, do I think Portland ends up with three first round picks? I think it's probably unlikely. The team is in, in win now mode and we're waiting to see if they'll even pick number seven. Uh, but, but it's a non-zero chance. It's a chance that happens. We have long preferred a rebuild through the draft and getting three two-way players, just defensive minded players. You were thinking of, of the size and the length of, of Zhang and Sohan and Dalen Terry, um, I can't think of a better way to start a rebuild than to have just a plethora of assets. Because remember, Portland doesn't control their own pick. Chicago controls that pick. So there could be a year where you're not going to have a draft pick at all. And so to have players on team-friendly deals that can grow up alongside one another that fill roles and needs, um, I, I thought Terry just makes a lot of sense. I, I said it on the blog. He's my favorite prospect in this draft. I, I love finding these kind of unknown players and, and watching their progression. And it's, you know, you were on Terry as well. And it just to see him kind of rise up the draft ranks has been awesome. He worked out for Portland. 
his interview gave me big time Wesley Matthews, like chip on, on my shoulder vibes. Like he's like, I, they're going to do a redraft in 10 years and it's going to look a lot different than what the draft is actually going to go. Uh, and he's, he's basically saying, I, I know I'm a late first round pick, but 10 years from now, you're going to wish you took me higher. Um, he just has a lot of dog in him. Like he, 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 he plays how he speaks. Like he's ferocious on the fast break. He finishes everything in sight. Um, he was one of the lead playmakers with the, the Wildcats alongside Benedict Mather. And so you can project, I think, some secondary playmaking for him. Really nice shooter. And defensively, I, he's one, one of the, yeah, he's one of the best off ball defenders in, in the draft right now. Like he loves lurking in the weeds and then just popping out of nowhere, igniting a fast break. I think he takes a challenge personally. I mean, at six, seven, he's got all the tools you want to play. Uh, so is Josh Hart just tradable now? If if no, the draft I, I went love, your way, no, I love Josh Hart. I, I don't need to start three rookies. Like you, like you said, there's COVID, so people get sick. There's 82 games, so people get dinged up. I think you need a player like Josh Hart. Uh, he is so, a veteran, veteran presence. That he's. I still believe, like, if you want to trade Dame and you start Amphrey and Josh Hart, that's fine. Yeah. Josh Hart's not old as bald. Like he's still pretty young. And then Dale and Terry takes a spot. That's, that's what you want. But right now, no, go ahead and keep, I love Josh Hart. That was a great addition. So I'm trying to think like, so the, the veterans are going to have their spot. The good veterans are going to have their spot. And then we're going to have three wings and whoever we draft at 35. I mean, I guess it's goodbye to, uh, Every uh, every bad wing besides Didi. <laughs> um, I think that it would be foolish of me not to talk about his. He, I believe that he is a shooter. I don't think that other teams and players think he's a shooter, and I think that that could be that could present some challenges because they don't treat him like a shooter at all. Like if you watch AZ games, they don't they disrespect him from from three. So that's why like, he went on a heater to end his um, his season. But I'm worried, like, you can be a great shooter, but if teams don't respect you, that's an issue. So I'm I'm very curious to see how NBA teams respect Damon Terry from three. Because well, I, I, I think that he can make him pay. Yeah, I, I think that he can. I, I don't expect him to be Jabari or A.J. Griffin from three. But I think that league average is very attainable. It's just going to be here. It's just going to be interesting to see what what the response is from other defenses and other schemes. Because like when I watch AZ, I'm like, damn, they don't respect him at all. Um, but I think that he provides a lot of uh, versatility from everything. So let me see who I have next. Do I have my my guy? It was also fun doing this mock draft and trading back and acquiring assets. This is our fourth mock draft. We did one where we did a tankathon simulation where the Blazers had, I think, the first or fourth pick. We did one where we stayed pat. And so it was fun to have one where we traded back. So just to do all of the scenarios and, you know, clearly this is a labor of love. It's an intense process of of writing and time and, and publishing and then, you know, recording the the audio version of that. So to be engaged actively over that process was important for me. And it's selfishly, it's what I want to see as a fan too. So that, that made it, I think uh, more enjoyable for uh, me to go, go through with this. 
I'm not going to lie. I can't wait for the draft because I don't, I don't want to do another podcast talking about this draft class. I've got like 10,000 words. is just like, fuck. It's, That's a lot of work. It's awesome. I don't know I, if I, I want it. to do I, another, I said like, draft day is a top five day for me. I, I love the draft. I'm going to be so bummed if we trade it for a role player who's a veteran. Sure, sure, uh, sure. I just don't want to like, after the draft, all of these guys that we feel so passionately about, our interest in the in them drops immensely. So I'm, I'm kind maybe, of excited maybe, for that. Maybe the Blazers do something stupid, and then we have to find other ways to keep ourselves. Oh, occupied. sure, 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 sure. But my individual interest, like I promised Ryan Buchanan that I was going to do draft uh, draft stuff for them Tuesday. If we don't make a trade Tuesday or Wednesday. I am not talking about this draft process, this draft class, until it's over. <laughs> that is that. I, fucking a, I'm tired of talking about it. Well, but, you took your guy at 26. Yes, I did. Pat for Baldwin. Houston, Houston Rockets via yep. the Dallas Mavericks. Yep. So my 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 idea is that Houston just doesn't have any talent that they feel comfortable in for the long haul. So I kind of had all of the options on the table. And when I think of Paulo and uh, and Jalen Green as the one-two punches of the offense, it allowed Pat Baldwin to be what he always has been as the third or fourth guy. Um, him going to Milwaukee is was one of the worst decisions. I mean, like his mom was – peer pressuring him to do this decision. So I get it. I get it. But college is the one chance you have to be a free agent for the first like eight years of your career. So it, it, it was a tough decision for him to do. It did not work. He kind of, he got exposed because the, the comps to him was that he was a creator. He isn't, he is a, he is a guy that is a connector. He makes the right play, but he will never create the, the, the disturbance that creates the advantage, but he will take advantage of that advantage. So I think that he's going to be a good shooter that can pass. That's a plus passer and is a good team defender. will never be a good one V one defender, but I think taking a chance on a six ten guy that shoots really well, has beautiful form and basketball IQ. It's a worthwhile draft pick or, or worthwhile choice at 26. He has all the tools. He has the intelligence. He just needs to not be the number one guy on an offense. Let's uh, speed through the last few. We got a couple this one of- was interesting. Your pick at twenty seven is a very good pick. Very yeah, good. I, I, I felt it. like you know you're at this point in the first round. It typically doesn't go based upon big board. There's always a few players who sneak into the late first that you're like, whoa, I, I had no idea that teams were even considering him. You look at the Miami Heat. East Eastern Conference number one seed. They only have one draft pick this year. And I, I think they're going to go. I, I have them slated to take Peyton Watson um, from UCLA. Like Kendall Brown, if, if the draft were maybe based out of high school tape, he's probably a lottery pick. Um, he chose to play for UCLA. And that was probably not the best idea for him because Mick Cronin really was stubborn with his rotations and would not let him crack a veteran a UCLA team that made the final four the year prior. So it was a really tough 
program for him to go in and get those minutes, get that development. Whenever he would play, it was for like three minutes and then he would get yanked out. But when I watched him play, this is where the eye test comes in. He just looked like an NBA player to me. The way he moved on the floor, he just looked like the game was slowed down for him. He had a really silky smooth jump shot. And if you're looking for a rookie, I don't know many places to go better than Miami. Like heat culture is, is a real thing. It's more than a slogan there. He's going to get like baptized into the NBA playing with Udonis Haslam and Jimmy Butler. They're going to get him in, in the right state of mind to produce. And you have to remember Miami turns players like Duncan Robinson and Max Struess. I mean, just players you've never fucking heard of. They're coming in off of like 10 day contracts and they turn them into like, Role, legitimate role players. $30 so, million dollar players, man. Yeah, I think Peyton Watson is, he has the ability to play defense. Duncan Robinson doesn't play defense. That's why he got pulled in the playoffs and he just wasn't able to crack that rotation in the postseason. Peyton Watson, not the shooter, but he's more of a two-way player, more of an overall rounded player that Miami is looking for. And I think Miami is a franchise that they're continuously good. They're going to wait in the wings, wait for Peyton to develop and, um, I, I think they're going to get a nice player. Like if if he's available at 36, I would love Portland to to take him just on potential alone. He he's a worthy dart toss. Like at this point in the draft, you have to be willing to throw your dart at something and feel good about it. Yeah, he's uh, he's not the shooter that I would want for Miami, but he has all of the tools that you want. Like I feel like Pat Baldwin because of his play was the most negatively affected in this class. But because of uh, Peyton Watson's decision, it negatively affected people's opinions of him. And I don't think that that's a fair case for him. Like, he deserves better than, you know, getting getting played, getting Jules Bernard and and, and those wings played over him. Is that, that's, that's just not a fair thing for Peyton. Um, I would love for him to go to Ignite or something, but Miami is fucking the best place for him to be. So great job of getting him on a team that can develop. So I have Kennedy. So the Golden State Warriors won the chip, so their their flaws are quite Minimal. small. Yeah, they're quite small. But when I was watching, and they, they they definitely played minutes without Steph Curry or Jordan Poole. And that, when that happened, the stagnation on offense was really annoying for me. So I think that the one glaring role that they have that could get fixed by free agency, because draft is before free agency, but the one glaring need is a backup point uh, playmaker. Playmaker of any size. And for this pick, I picked the playmaker of the smallest size. He it says he's six foot. I don't know if he's six foot, but he is a, incredibly small. But with that, he's incredibly fast. I think the game his game is based around pace. It's going really fast, but also going slow. It's exploding out of a cut. It's lulling your defender to sleep with slow dribble moves and then speed boosting past him. He can create his own offense and him being six foot or five ten or whatever it may be, he's really crafty as a scorer. Because I would imagine that, you know, the 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 defenders in the SEC would smack the living shit out of that layup. But because he's crafty and because he's 
okay with taking contact. He finishes at a really nice rate on his drives and gets the free throw line at a really high rate. So he can create for others. He can create for himself. He is a competent three-point shooter that you have to respect that shot. And I think in a role of 10 minutes a game, I think Kennedy Chandler can carve out a Ish Smith type career. And I think that's fine. Like Warriors aren't looking for Peyton Watson to be a, a, a legit player. Kennedy Chandler plays the Ish Smith role and they might win another chip. At 29, uh, you took the player I was going to take. Yeah. So for Memphis, I took the other point guard on my board in Ty Ty Washington. It's the one downside the Memphis Grizzlies have of being so young and so good so quick is that players are now in line to get their their promotions and their pay raises. They've already paid Jaron Jackson Jr. They're going to have to start budgeting for John Morant and uh, Desmond Bain. Mm-hmm. And Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson are both free agents this year. And as important as Tyus Jones was, I do think they'll try to bring him back because they were so uh, difficult to defeat, even with John Morant sidelined because mm-hmm. Tyus ran that ship. They can now get some Tyus Jones insurance and take a Ty Ty Washington who, when he was at Kentucky and playing, they were difficult to beat. Oh, yeah. And when he was injured, he had multiple injuries across the season. They, they really struggled, and that's the sign of, of a really good point guard. But I'm not going to bank my entire evaluation on that because I was uh, bit by that bug once before in 2012 with Kendall Marshall at North Carolina. And Kendall Marshall was slow. He couldn't shoot. But his he he helped the team. Well, that was great for college, but it definitely didn't translate to the professional level. So there is that aspect I'm worried about. Ty Ty, he he does shoot the mid range quite well. He's gonna have to extend his range. Yep. Just the, the NBA level, you have to be a point guard. I mean, they compare him to Andre Miller, and I was like, that's great. But does Andre Miller thrive in today's NBA? I don't know. So they take a flyer on him late in the first round, and. Memphis is a great drafting team. So whoever they draft, you, you probably should get on board with, with who, mm-hmm. who they select because they, they know better than the majority of NBA teams. So I felt like it was good value here, good need. It's kind of where BPA, best player available, meets you know need. And I just I kind of went with it. So I did not want to talk about Jake Laravia. I didn't want to talk about Marsha and Bochamp. But who I wanted to talk about to close out this mock draft was Keon Ellis out of Alabama. And I think that in the NBA, you got to find players that know their roles and know how to play as a superstar in that role. <clears throat> Keon is a DN3 guy. He shoots threes at like an 88 percentile as a, uh, as a shooter. He does it on low usage rate because of the Alabama guards and wings were such usage monsters. So he had to score in limited fashion and unlimited attempts and did it at a really, really high level defensively was where it kind of, he took on the Herbert Jones role as a defender and picked that player on the opposing team, their best perimeter offensive player and decided to lock them him down. I thought that the way he was so aggressive with these players and not fouling is a really nice indicator of what he can be as a defender where He's in that person's airspace being aggressive, but not fouling. Um, I believe he only fouled out once being the guy that guards Ty Ty Washington, that guards uh, Kennedy Chandler. So I, the, I, I don't know if Denver's going to take a guy that's just a DM3, 
but I thought that this was a good time to talk about Keon Ellis at 36 because he does what the Blazers need, a defender that can shoot at a high level. He, he, he can guard one through three. He forced turnovers. He forced steals. He uh, statistically, like, only, like, uh, DeLon Wright, Tari Eason, and he put up s- similar defensive stats in their uh, – in their uh, college career. And he did it as a senior, so he's mature. But uh, Keon Ellis, be on the lookout for. He's going to make an NBA roster with his D and three abilities. All right. That wraps up our mock draft for 2022, our fourth and final installment. Before we head out, we have a few fan questions. Let's get to first from playest underscore 4247 on Twitter. Uh, easy question. You can't say both. Should the Blazers build around Anthony Simons or Damian Lillard? Give me your answer, Sage. Context matters a lot in this. Yeah, give us for your context. Sure, for sure. I think it would be easier to build around Ant. I would like to see Damian succeed in Portland more. But I think if you trade Dame, you have a collection of picks that you can build from and build something sustainable. So I guess in that aspect, trade Dame. But that dude has sacrificed so much. So I, you know, it, it's tough to really think that to, to, to say that I think we should trade Damian Miller, but he said, I mean, it would be much easier in the team building aspect to have multiple first round picks since we don't have our own. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy for me. I'm building your own Anthony Simons, not because I think he's the better player, but because I think it's the easiest path towards a championship. It may be a little bit longer, uh, than some fans want uh, to wait for, but I think it's going to be even longer if the team tries to continuously put on these band-aids of role players to work with Dame and try to quote unquote win with Dame. I, I feel like Neil Olsh- Neil Olshay did such a poor job building this this roster, left the franchise so depleted with young assets and draft capital, and Joe Cronin stepped in and really didn't. He only. Uh, he didn't alleviate that problem. He, he only made it a little bit worse. Portland now ha- he has more flexibility, but less assets. And I don't see a plausible path forward with Lillard. Now, if LeBron James was banging on Portland's door saying, hey, I, I want to come to Portland, trade for me, trade the seven pick. Let's do a two, two-year run with LeBron Dame. Fuck yes. Sign me up for that. If you could get a legitimate top 10 player with Dame, go all in. But from all reports, that player is not available on the market and Portland doesn't have the assets. So you not only have to have the player be on the market, you have to have that player verbally in the media saying, I want to come to Portland to put the pressure on their organization to trade them to their preferred destination, much as Anthony Davis did uh, with, with New Orleans. I, so, I just I, I don't see that happening. So that's why I would I would wait until Lillard plays, builds back his the trust in other GMs, and I would go full rebuild. How many players in this draft class do you trust more as a building block than Anthony Simons? Hmm. That's a good question. Thank you. It'd be easier if you said over or under, because I don't know if I could just list off the players right now. Five. Slightly over. So Chet, Jabari, Oh, no, you probably don't have Chet, do you? 
I, I could be persuaded to say Chet. He's just such a boomer bust prospect. Like, I don't think there is any middle ground with Chet Holmgren. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Jabari, Shaden. Yeah. Um, uh, Jaden Ivy. You just said Jaden. Did I said Shaden. Oh, Shaden. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I would even say, I think Matherin's up there for me. Uh, Ivy. Yep. Uh, I, I do think Bancaro just I means. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, Paulo. I should have said Paulo earlier. Yeah. I'm lower on him than most, but yeah, it, it's tough to find size and scoring like that. Dang. Yeah. I would include AJ just because of the shooting, and I don't think either of them are good playmakers. Next question. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the thing. When, when people talk, oh, look at Steph Curry and what he's able to do at two years older than Dane Bull, Steph plays off ball that throws a whole different wrench offensively because of what he's able to do. Not only does he play off ball, they have decision makers that can get him the ball. Steve Kerr's system is light years ahead of what Portland runs. And they, they have so much depth that Kevin Durant trade uh, that signing. They not only won two out of three championships with Kevin Durant, but he forced a sign and trade sending D'Angelo Russell. Well, they flipped D'Angelo Russell to Minnesota for Wiggins and Jonathan Kuminga. They've been bad in the lottery. Yeah, I know they didn't pick the right player in Wiseman, but they added Moses Moody. They drafted well with Jordan Poole. They brought in Gary Payton Jr. or the second, and they still have Otto Porter took a fucking friendly Otto ass Porter team. Jr. and Bielincia took minimum contracts to play with So w- could we get Otto Porter for the MLE? Like, he would take the MLE to play with us. He took bare minimum to play with them. Yeah, That's, so yep. the... the it's not an apples to apples comparison at all. The, the situations are completely yeah, context matters. Context absolutely matters. And then we have a few really good questions from rip village on Twitter always comes in hot with the question. So I appreciate that. Uh, first question. Can Joe Cronin have his lottery cake by picking at seven and eat it too, by selling Dame on that as the path for contention? If he says he's built for this, this is the perfect point A of doing that. So if he's trying to build credibility, there's only 30 of these jobs, right? So if you're trying to build credibility, you better be able to sell. Yeah, I mean, yeah you have, to, you have yeah. to be able to sell, you know. That, that's a requirement of the job. You have to be able to sell your player. Not like as a car, like a fucking scummy car, car salesman that we've had in the past, but you have to be able to at least come to an understanding of I believe in this guy. So if he cannot do it, he needs to be the associate GM or something like he has to take a fucking uh, lesser job because he, if he can't connect with Dame and explain to him and they come to an agreement, he doesn't deserve this job. So yeah, he has to do this. Yeah. You're a general manager. It's your job to come up with the long-term vision of, of the franchise and build out the roster to meet, that vision. And if you have to be honest with Damien and say, the roster sucked, I'm sorry, we don't have enough pieces to make us win. Like we, we can't get to the Western conference finals. Like you have to be upfront. And then if Dame's like, I still want in great, or I want out. Okay. We'll find you a place to go. Like, I think you just have to communicate that, that it's all about communication. And it's all about it's- building personal relationships. Like the general manager has so much to fucking do, but they have to be, able to create relationships with people like head coaching isn't just X's and O's and GM general managership. Isn't just trading of players. 
you have to build context and uh, contacts with people and create friendships and trust and communicate. And if he can't do that with a star player that likes him, fuck out of here. What is the highest price you're willing to pay for OG Ananobi in a trade with the Toronto Raptors? I don't want to give up our pick to be complete. Like if this was 2k and I can turn off injuries, it's a lot more desirable to me, but he's played like 80 games in two seasons. He's played. I did the math. He's played 60, 59% uh, of his team's games the past two years. He's, he's had these weird thumb and foot injuries. He had a knee injury coming out of Indiana in the 2017 draft as well. But I, I think that he is a starter level quality player but we are not in the need for a starter level quality player to make our team better. We need to build sustainably. Um, I I think people want to build too fast and not a sustainable thing. And when it's not sustainable, it's going to fall. So I, if it was me, I would just take the seventh pick and say, Oh gee, the asking price is too much. Um, We're going to take Benedict Mather and AJ Griffin or Jalen Duran or whoever it is and, and build this sustainably. Yeah, I'm not I, taking I, shorts. I would hesitant. I would be hesitant dealing with Masai Ujiri. I mean, he already got. He's going to take one, advantage of us. Yeah, he already took advantage of us once. Gary Trent for Norman Powell. Um, I the Raptors are the new Spurs in my mind. If they're willing to even talk about a player, I'm asking why. Like that's an initial flag that's in my like. Why are you wanting to get rid of him? Like what what's going on? Like not there's anything wrong with that player, but. What do you know that that we don't like? Yeah, this player is nice, but we're not going to pay a premium for that. So, and has he gotten his? He's on his second, right? Second contract. So he's he's only going to get paid more. Yeah, I mean, so if you're, if who you're is our low move, cost player? Is it just Nasir and Trendon Watford and Greg Brown? So how the fuck are we going to? How bad is our tax going to be at the end of the year with all of these? fucking middling players getting paid elite status money. <laughs> yeah. I, I like OG. I don't think Portland is in the the state of a franchise to add him and make it worthwhile. Like if you're one piece away, yeah, you sure. pay that yeah. premium to get him, but you're three or four pieces away. And I've heard people say, well, like, can't he be one of those three or four pieces? Sure. But you're giving up some of your pieces to get him so you're really in the same predicament like you it, it, it's a long it accelerates the clock because if we draft at seven the clock moves back for our timetable but if we push all our chips in in a time where i don't think we're ready for that but if we push all our chips in this is it we don't have a draft pick till 2026 this has to work you know how fucking risky that is and it's for og and Anobe. it's not for fucking jason tatum or something it's for a guy that's a great player but not an elite he's not an all-star he would be the best small forward we've had in a long time but still that's not that's an easy bar to clear all right what's the next question uh what is the most realistic jeremy grant or john collins deal that you could see being made i feel like seven has to be a part of it i think the most Eric if I'm Bledsoe talking seven, Jeremy right? Grant, I think you should. If if you if if you're Joe Cronin, you should be able to get get that with the trade exception in the twenty the Bucks twenty twenty five pick. You should not be paying more than that. He's an unrestricted free agent next year. He's gonna want to get paid. Detroit's not looking to keep him on that salary. They're going for the youth movement. 
I don't think anybody's going to pay more than a first round pick for him. So that's what I would say for Grant. For Collins, um, first awful fit. He's a lob threat, and Portland has the worst combination of lob guards in league history. I mean, Dame, Dame and Ant can't throw lobs. I mean, just, yeah, it, it's it's such a John Collins is not a great defender. Um, I've seen. So you know, if we t- traded for John Collins, we're trading Yusuf because there's no way in hell that that shit's working. You know they're going to sign Yusuf. You know they're going to try. So and- if you know that they're signing Yusuf, why would you trade for a player that is the one of the worst uh, pairings? That spacing is going to be real tight. Yeah, like it's going to be um, skinny jeans tight. So in the scenarios that are given seven and stuff for John college in Atlanta's pick, right. Would be okay. Is there anybody in the 12 to 15 range that you feel comfortable like being a positive for us with two of the worst spacing bigs? They have One to be, player that that could fall is Eason, but he's not going to space the floor either. Yeah, Eason. Yeah, Eason is not space spacing the floor. And can I be brutally honest? I think Tari Eason has a better chance. Eason has a chance of being. I just I don't like the idea of these these role playing bigs that are getting paid like draft these players. It's it's there. Four years of very sustainable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I think Tari Eason could be better than Collins. Well, so, speaking of Eason, this is the last question from Rip Village. Could Eason or Jeremy Sohan actually log rotation minutes next year? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Eason can play at the three or the four. Versatile defenders, are, are they're, they're never going out of style. You're um, going to want to try out your new toy as a defender. Absolutely. Too. Yeah, you and, don't just want to sit on the bench. Okay, okay, okay. Is there anybody on this roster that could sniff the jockstrap of either Tari Eason or Jeremy Sochan as a defender currently on this team? Not at their position. Josh Hart's a solid defender. Not he does not fuck up shit the way Jeremy does. I'm just or, you said yeah, sniff. Yeah, he's, he's okay, sniffing. all right, sure. Goddamn, Sage. He there's no one that fucks with the either of them defensively no. and i have issues with jeremy's shooting i don't know if i mentioned it he's not a good shooter i trust tari eason to defend two through four relatively easy or maybe three through four relatively easy yeah there if we drafted one of them they're playing rotation minutes their role isn't going to be as a creator so they're yeah. just going to do roles where they're successful in so you're putting Eason in a place where he's attacking closeouts and driving to the lane and shooting. You're putting, e- uh, yeah, I guess I could talk about Eason again, but you can put Jeremy in situations where he can make be a decision maker on offense, make the right play off of a Damian Miller drive if he's still on, on the team. You Those two could play on any team right now and be produce positive minutes. So Eason and uh, Jeremy definitely, absolutely would be a rotation player. All right. This is probably the longest podcast in Holy Backboard history. So we need to wrap this up before Thursday's NBA draft. Sage, let our listeners know where they can find us. Um, we are on iTunes, Google Play, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Himalaya Podcast, 
everywhere that you listen to podcasts, we are available. Spotify, all the spots. Holybackboard.com. Read this mock draft. It was a labor of love. Leave us a comment. I will be bummed if people don't read it. Like we've, I, I, we work really hard on it. I would, I would be a bummer if people. I don't know if any other podcast is going this in depth on the NBA draft. I talked about Keon Ellis. He's like the fifty fourth pick. Like other other podcasts and blog sites can tell you about the player by looking at statistics. I guarantee, fucking T, no draft player person on in this Blazers community has watched as many games as me. I'm 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 sorry, they just have not. I fucking I've watched fucking four or five games of every player. I don't I don't take I don't watch clips. I'm trying to watch games so I can understand these players. They're not sacrificing like we are. So if you're gonna get your uh Blazers draft news, please do it here. I will be on Ryan Buchanan's show to talk about the draft one last time before the actual draft. So and shout oh, out no shout out to Tara from the Blazers What podcast for having us on last week. That was a blast. Give them a listen as well. Uh, friends of the show, love their pod. So listen to some Holy Backboard, listen to some Blazers What, and let's let's have a good time on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Streaming Wednesday if you want to hear me be toxic to friends. Poof. Oh.